Something very strange is going on here, Mulder. Did they let you in to see Lieutenant Harper? Yeah, I saw somebody, but whether it was actually the lieutenant... What do you mean? He looked about 90 years old. Off by about half a century. You don't seem too surprised. I want to show you something, Scully. This was the course of the USS Arden when she disappeared. Now, I've been tracking the points of departure and destination for each of these X-Files. On December 12, 1949, a Royal Navy battleship disappeared between Leeds and Cape Perry. The sea was calm, the weather sunny. In 1963, at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis, a fleet of Soviet minesweepers left from here for Havana. All six vessels vanished without a trace. All in all, I've counted nine unexplained disappearances. Each of them passed through here, the 65th parallel. Another Bermuda Triangle? It's more like a wrinkle in time, if Lieutenant Harper is any indication. Discovering the X-Files, the podcast in which a newbie takes a deep dive into the entirety of Chris Carter's universe, while longtime fans escort me on the journey, a perilous journey filled with government conspiracies or weird monsters every other week. I'm Eric's Antoine, and today I'm joined by my good friend Natalia Castro. She's calling in from Colombia, and we'll be discussing Dudcom, which originally aired on March 10th. 1995. In this episode, Mulder and Scully are called in when a boatload of survivors from a U.S. Navy escort are found. They all appear to have aged many decades in the course of a few days. Our heroes travel to Norway to investigate what could have gone wrong. This Monster of the Week bottle episode was written by Howard Gordon and Alex Ganza and directed by Rob Bowman, and it features some very strange and not particularly effective aging makeup for the show's stars. And in a moment, Natalia and I are going to get into it. Stick around. So, um, this episode, I'm not sure how to pronounce the title. I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't know any Norwegian, so uh, the... And as far as I understand it, it's not even like I—I I guess you know, like it's the word for dead in Norwegian, and then you have calm, which is not Norwegian, but it's like vaguely Norwegian-looking. So it's like a playful title. So I, I mean, ultimately, the title is dead calm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since I don't know Norwegian, I—I uh, I know not a word of it, so. Let's pronounce uh, it in English and yes. Let's just let's just call it dead calm. You know, dead yeah, calm. Dead calm. Uh, as that was the title that I mean, that's basically what they want to evoke with the title. They specifically wanted to evoke the classic thriller, Dead Calm, the, with Nicole Kidman. Uh, um, I was I wasn't sure if that was it, so yeah, I did see it. That's good. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this episode has nothing to do with that. The plot of that movie except for the fact that it takes place on a you know on a boat in the middle of the ocean but that's yeah. about all it has in common with the original with, with like dead calm yeah. um but yeah it's a it is of course a very interesting episode it has uh there are moments in the episode in which characters speak norwegian to each other 
And, you know, it's a lengthy dialogue between two characters speaking Norwegian. And this topic has come up a couple of times throughout this season. And I wanted to bring it up again with you because I think yep. that you might also have some insight into this. Well, first I'll ask you this. Did you watch this episode in English? Yes. Okay. So you were able to watch this episode in English. Okay. Yeah. Amazon Prime has blessed me. No, the reason I was saying, like, did you watch it now um, in English, which is because this would be relevant. I would imagine that in the Spanish version, even their dialogue is in Spanish. Because, that, like, any time I've watched a show that's uh, where, or a movie, where two characters are speaking a different language to each other, even if it's subtitled or whatever, they, when they dub it, they just speak, they just speak Spanish. Like... It's it's really silly and it's not relevant to the X Files, but ju just to sort of end that, it is funny. Like the the one part that I the one time, like I you know the movie Spanglish, the the Adam yep. Sandler. Have you ever seen that dubbed in Spanish? No. Okay, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen because in the plot of that movie, you know, which uh, for any, like it is about Adam Sandler hiring a Hispanic housekeeper played by Paz Vega. Um, you know, and she obviously doesn't speak English very well or whatever. She's still learning English. A lot of her dialogue is in Spanish. And there are many scenes in which, you know, characters are speaking English to each other. She doesn't understand what they're saying. And then they try to speak Spanish, like very broken Spanish to communicate with her. Okay. Well, anyway, the point is that in the Spanish dubbed version, the way that they do that is that like the cat, like every, the whole thing is in Spanish, right? Mm -hmm. But then when the characters are speaking English to each other, they're speaking Spanish, but with like gringo accents. Oh, God. So it's it just sounds really stupid. You I have another I mean? example that's really dumb. <laughs> okay. And this was on Discovery Channel, which is embarrassing. Uh, I think it was a, 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 obviously a documentary on drugs in Colombia. Like, okay, this... Get, get get other ideas, please. But they were interviewing <laughs> a Colombian guy. But I was watching it in Spanish because my dad was watching it. And so the guy that was being interviewed was talking in Spanish, but they dubbed his voice in Spanish. So the lip sync was perfect, but it wasn't his voice. That's ridiculous. That doesn't make oh, any sense. Oh, man. Oh, my God. That was so bad. Oh, wait, actually, let me ask you this. Was it, mm. uh, okay, was this, so this, you said this Discovery Channel, right? And it was a, yeah. like a, like a documentary, right? It was a documentary, yeah. Okay, so I'm, and probably the original language of this documentary was English. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to assume that in the, in the original documentary, when that guy's talking, he's speaking Spanish. And of course, they have some English speaker dubbing over, you know, like what he's saying. So that, oh, that that's probably, probably how it is. Yes. But the way the way the, the, the sound mix is delivered to channels is that you have your original voice in one channel and then you have your translations on the other Ex channel. So exactly. that makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't it, make sense. But but let me ask you this. Was the the Spanish version was it like Spanish from Spain? No, it wasn't neutral Spanish. Oh. It was neutral okay. South American Spanish. So that it makes even less sense. Okay, no, because the, the reason I say this is because I participated, um, I, I was on the production team and also did some quote-unquote acting 
on a National Geographic documentary about uh, about the God, what, what, the hemorrhagic fever that uh, there was a there was a there was a hemorrhagic fever pandemic here in Bolivia in like the 60s. And so they did a documentary about it and, and they came here to shoot it. And I was involved in the production of it. And well, to make a, lo a long story short, in that documentary, the version that we got when when the documentary was completed was a version dubbed into Spanish, but from Spain. So oh. it, in this documentary, obviously you have the recreations. So you have people speaking English in the interviews. And obviously you have a guy speaking Spanish from Spain dubbing over them. But then when like a Bolivian person uh, is talking about what happened, they're speaking in Spanish, but mm -hmm. they dubbed over them as well. But with the, you know, with Spanish from Spain. So oh, cool. it, it's, it's just funny to me like that they do things like that. I, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. Nope. But anyway, what this has to do with the X-Files, wh why did I bring this up? Because mm. in this episode, we, we have two characters speaking Norwegian to each other. And in mm -hmm. the, the subtitles, you know, obviously in English. And I don't know any Norwegian. And I, mm -hmm. I know that John Savage is not Norwegian. Uh, he's mm -hmm. an American actor. But I, I can, maybe he knows Norwegian or maybe he learned Norwegian. But the other guy might be a Norwegian actor. So his, his Norwegian might be fine. The point is, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And the reason I'm going to do that is because already in previous episodes, in this very season, and this is like where I first noticed, like in the very first episode of the season, you have this janitor from, I guess he's Puerto Rican, right? Uh, and his name is Jorge, and he speaks Spanish. In You know, he speaks Spanish, and he speaks very good Spanish, and he speaks Spanish as if, some like someone from Puerto Rico. He speaks Spanish mm -hmm. with, a, with a Boricua accent when he's speaking Spanish. So, and, I, and I look at that and I go, well, that's great, because usually that's not the case, okay? Usually, and you know this, if you, like, uh, you'll watch... Uh, a movie or a TV show that has Spanish-speaking characters, they're going to speak Spanish. They're, they might not even be Hispanic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, like, like Breaking Bad, you know, Breaking Bad. Gus Fring, yeah. uh, Giancarlo Esposito, his Spanish is horrendous, okay? <laughs> and, and, and Or on Better Call Saul, you know, uh, a couple of the characters in that. Some yeah, of in Narcos. Yeah, in Narcos. Nar uh, in Narcos, the, yes. Yeah, the lead actor is Brazilian, and he tried to speak Paisa, which is yes. really complicated. Yes. And I don't think he got it right. Yes. And I didn't well, want the series, but I watched, like, a clip, and it was like, oh, my God. Right. I mean, I'm just saying, like, they don't really, I mean, I can't speak too much to Narcos, because I haven't really watched that show. I do mm. know that actor. He's a good actor. He's great. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, they clearly they hired him because he was a good actor. They needed like a name guy. And I think the guy that, um, I mean, the guy who created Narcos or who like directed the first episodes of Narcos is the same guy that did um, uh, the, the Tropa, you know, the Elite Elite Squad, Elite the Brazilian Squad, yeah. action film. And that's the star of Elite Squad, the guy who's, who plays uh, um, Escobar. So, okay, I can kind of understand why they would try to cast like a, a recognizable quote-unquote guy who'd already worked with the director he's brazilian so we as we know that his spanish is not very good uh yeah. and he has this like you know he has a a brazilian accent when he's speaking spanish but um but it's just that that's that's something that happens a lot in movies right can i tell you like a quick story i don't know if you sure. want it in the podcast but yeah uh, i was watching uh, an interview with this super super famous actor here and a long time ago, we talked about the narco novela trend here in Colombia. 
and this guy played Escobar. So he was talking about uh, his, uh, he has a series on Netflix right now, and he was talking about uh, the first time he got offered a role uh, for a Netflix series, and he was super excited. And then they told him that they wanted him to play Escobar again. So I guess it's for, it was for Narcos. So they could have had a Colombian actor. Ultimately, I don't really care. I just think it's curious that uh, they first went with a Colombian actor and then they, they went for the Brazilian guy that kind of didn't get the accent right. But, you know, he's great. He's a good actor. So it, yeah, no, that's, it's fine. It's possible. I mean, it's because I, I usually let it slide. Like in the case of Breaking Bad, Giancarlo Esposito does such a great job with Gus Fring that, okay, fine, I wouldn't trade it for the world, even though his Spanish is terrible. And even though I know he's not speaking Spanish well, I know that a lot of the people who are watching the show aren't going to notice that and they're not going to care. And he's giving a good performance. So like, yeah, I can he's let brilliant, it slide. So who cares? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I can let it slide. I can let it slide. But at the same time, I appreciate when they go the extra mile. Oh, and, yeah. You know, in a situation, in, in a TV show where you don't need to, you know, they could very easily be lazy about it and not worry about it. I mean, we're talking about a janitor who has like two scenes, maybe all of three or four lines. It really wouldn't matter. I mean, mm. they wouldn't even have to, ca they wouldn't even have to cast an actual Puerto Rican. They could cast somebody who looks Puerto Rican. They could cast yeah. some Italian or so, you know, it, it doesn't really matter, but, but they cast an actual Puerto Rican to give it authenticity. And I really appreciate that, yeah, you know, and, and so and, and because of that, I, I look at an episode like this and I'm saying, I believe that that's a real Norwegian and he's speaking Norwegian and he's speaking Norwegian well. And, yeah. and, and kudos so that, to that John helps. Savage. Kudos, kudos to, to John Savage. Yes, kudos to John Savage. Who, I mean, I didn't bother uh, looking into this. Uh, for all we know, he actually knows uh, Norwegian. He actually speaks Norwegian well. That might be one of the reasons why he was cast in the role, besides him being a really good actor. Because, you know, you'd be surprised. Uh, did, you know, did you know that Sandra Bullock... Uh, I she's think, German. Yeah, she's German. That's and, crazy. I mean, as far as I know, she... I mean, she grew up in the States, probably. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if she was actually born in Germany or born in the States, but, um, but she, you know, she's born and raised, like, you know, she was, uh, she was raised in the U.S. in any case, but she speaks, she's German and she speaks perfect German. Yeah. And, and as I understand it, when they dub movies into German, when they dub her movies into German, she always does her own voice. Ah, uh, that's great. Uh, Bradley Cooper does the same thing, but for French, I think. That I don't know about. I didn't know I, I that. I think I read that somewhere, but I know that he... I, I watched an interview of him uh, speaking perfect French. Apparently, he went to school there in France. I mean, oh, okay. So he didn't actually... So he's not He wasn't French. No. Yeah, okay. He's right. Oh, it's kind of like Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen. Oh, my God. He's right. crazy. Yeah, he speaks like an Argentinian. Um because, uh, as I understand it, he, I mean, he was born in New York, he was raised mm -hmm. in the United States, but he's like part Danish or something. But he also, like, he lived, he basically grew up in Cordoba, like he grew up in Argentina. Yeah, same so, with Anna, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh! Yeah, she also speaks perfect Argentinian, and she grew up there in wow, Argentina for a few years. Well, this, this, this is an interesting, uh, this is, it, I didn't know about that. Yeah, uh, I wonder. I, so I wonder, like, I wonder if Viggo Mortensen dubs his own uh, dialogue also, like in, in the dubbing. I, maybe not, because yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Viggo Mortensen's case, it's so regional. Mm -hmm. 
that maybe like it would be too, you know, you know who else speaks perf perfect Spanish? Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, she's pretty good. Well, she speaks it with a Spanish accent. It's you know, she Spanish speaks it with, like from Spain. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Daniel Brühl, that's the 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 triple threat because he's like uh, speaks English, German, and and Spanish, like perfect Spanish, Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's another one. And as I understand that Daniel Brühl, he is, he's actually Spanish, right? He's from yeah, Spain. Yeah, I don't understand that part of him. Well, yeah. right, he, he's is a he Spanish German actor. or Spanish? Right, he's, a, he's Spanish, but I guess he's, I mean, he's worked in German films, he's worked in French films, yeah, and he cool. speaks, you know, he, he speaks those languages perfectly, apparently. Well, anyway, um, I think we've yeah. talked about that long enough. Uh, we, we'll, let, let's discuss, uh, just for a second, I do want to point out, yes, John Savage is the special guest star in this episode. He is a terrific actor. I've, I've always, I've always enjoyed him. Um, he's, uh, he's just this really great, intense actor. And mm -hmm. he kind of, he kind of reminds me, and it was always, it was something that I couldn't quite put my finger on. I mean, it's always been the case, but I hadn't seen him in a while. And so here I'm watching this episode and he's always reminded me of John Voight. Yep. You know, he, he has a kind of uh, similar quality to John Voight. He kind of looks like him. He kind of talks like him. And he has a similar acting style to John Voight. Yeah, there's and... something about him that I, I, I see him on screen and I, all I can think of is like, I respect you, man. I respect you. Yes. Well, and you take him seriously. Exactly. He has a, a cadence. He has a presence. Uh, he really like sort of throws himself into the role. Yes, he's a little bit reminiscent of John Voight. John Voight is a good actor. I will say that right now. He apparently turned out to be a bit of a lunatic. Yeah, but, he's a bit crap uh, as a human. But yeah. Right. Yeah, he, he, may, he may very well be a, a terrible person. I do not know. But he's definitely yeah, a good actor. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. good, some, some good, um, some interesting guest actors. There aren't many, act, like many uh, characters, because ultimately this is very much a kind of bottle episode. And, oh, yeah. and we've had a couple of episodes like this already, okay? We, we, we've had things like, we've had Ice, we've had Darkness Falls. These are like bottle episodes, and they tend to have this sort of style. They essentially, they place Mulder and Scully in a confined um, remote location, right? Mm -hmm. And they subject them to forces beyond their, con their control. And that is essentially what happens here as well. And it's kind of weird because... The, the idea behind making this episode, as I understand it, was they had this ship. They had used it in uh, Colony and Endgame, you know, mm -hmm. in, the, in the big two-parter a couple, of, a couple of episodes ago. And they had that resource, and they said, you know, we have access to this uh, ship. So why don't we write another episode that takes place on a ship? And so that's basically how this came about. And Howard Gordon specifically wrote a story to be set on a ship because the idea was to make a cool little bottle episode so that the cast and crew could basically relax, you know, could have a little bit of a, a relaxing time after some very intense, uh, arduous shoots before for previous episodes. And it didn't, yeah, of course, it, I it, it did not work that. out that way. Yeah, it did not work out yeah. that way in the end. It turned out to be a very complicated shoot. And that makes it very similar. That's one of the ways in which it's very similar to Darkness Falls. 
because Darkness Falls was also initially initially conceived to be a kind of bottle episode that would give people a break and then turn out to be like the most complicated episode to shoot in the whole season. Uh, that was for the first season. And so in that way, it's similar to Darkness Falls. And I also think it's similar to Darkness Falls because it has a very far-fetched, almost apocalyptic premise, okay, that in my opinion cannot be resolved to satisfaction within the confines of an episodic television show like this. I don't know if you remember that. Last time we we recorded, I told you that um although I prefer the mythology episodes, uh mm -hmm. there's some there's some standalone episodes that kind of made me doubt that because they're so good. Like, did, sure. did I really like the mythology episodes more? Uh, and with this one I was like, no, no. Because the minute they mentioned a meteor, I was like, where are the aliens? I miss the aliens. Just give <laughs> me the aliens. Yeah, and this was a filler episode and kind of went nowhere. And I mean, the concept was interesting, but uh, man, it dragged yeah, well, a little bit. Yeah, it does drag a little bit. And the other thing, like, because they pull a bait and switch, okay? Uh, you, they, you brought up meteors. That's, that's interesting. But also, like, they talk about the Philadelphia experiment, right? Yes. And, you know, so you basically, it's, it's leading you down a path where you're mm -hmm. thinking that this is where they're going with it. And it's an intriguing concept because the Philadelphia Experiment, not only is it a, a cool sci-fi movie from the 80s, but it's a real thing that inspired yeah, that but they movie. Also, and they also mention uh, folklore. So then you think sure. maybe it's a supernatural force. And so it's like... Yes, yes. <sighs> it, it leads you down a certain path, right? Yeah. And then ultimately it isn't. Uh, it, is, it has nothing to do with that. And yet... In my, at least, maybe I missed something, but the reason why the ship keeps phasing in and out, you know, like the, there's mm -hmm. this, you know, on the radar, it keeps phasing in and out. So that yeah. that's what leads, so you're thinking, oh, okay, so it's obviously caught in a wormhole or something, right? Like that's what mm -hmm. you're thinking. And that's what it leads you to believe that this ship is phasing in and out, like in a wormhole. And every time it phases out, maybe only minutes or, or whatever or seconds pass in our dimension but actually years pass in their dimension right or yeah. months or whatever so my, my point is that that's what you think it's going to be about and then that has nothing to do with that but they don't bother ever explaining why the ship is phasing in and out of existence like i, I don't I, yeah. I don't get it uh yeah well Okay, so uh, Mulder comes up with a theory that it has maybe has to, a lot to do with like uh, free radicals and the meteor being a magnet that is attracting the vessels. So uh, maybe the electromagnetic uh, thing is, is like messing up the the radar. Maybe. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So that, All right. That, oh, so that, that could be one of the explanations. I like the idea of the free radical theory. Yeah. As to yeah. why they were aging so quickly, but their hair wasn't going gray. Yeah. But but then that's what the episode left us with. It's a bunch of theories, and none of them are confirmed, which is kind of common in these shows. But then it's like so many theories pulling you into so many different directions that is like, eh, what? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think that that is basically a big problem. As you said, it's a, it's a common problem with The X-Files as a series where mm -hmm. you have these, these ideas that can be very compelling. So, like, that's the problem here, okay? Like, here mm -hmm. you have a bunch of interesting ideas 
presented in a way that's intriguing, but ultimately it is not a story that you can resolve very neatly, not in 45 yeah. minutes, you know, not mm -hmm. just in, in it, it doesn't work for episodic television. That's the problem yeah. that I have with it. It's the same problem I had with Darkness Falls. Where Darkness Falls, if you'll recall, basically you have, you know, Mulder and Scully stuck in the woods and you've got these like mutant um, termites, you know, or, or whatever mm -hmm. it is that, that are doing what they're doing. And it, that episode ends with them stuck in a Jeep, stuck in like these cocoons, and they get rescued in just the nick of time and they get saved, right? And, yeah. and what happens here? It's the same thing. I mean... You basically have a situation where Mulder and Scully, you know, they're they're passive. Okay, mm -hmm. this this happens to them. Yeah. Okay, they can do nothing about it, and that's it. They they do the investigation. They they discover the source of what's happening. They try what they they try to survive for as long as they can. Ultimately, they succumb to uh, to the illness. You know, that by mm -hmm. the end of the episode, they they fail. You know, they fail. And they are rescued miraculously at the last minute. The only lesson of this episode is that uh, taking detailed notes, it's really important because that's kind of what really saved them. You know, the doctor says that she read Scully's notes and that's why they're being treated. Yes, yes, it, yes. So, so, so that's the lesson of the episode. Scully taking notes. Good job. Yeah, sure. It. I mean, yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, like, that's fine. But see, it's not very satisfying, right? No. Nope. I mean, <laughs> nope. it's not. And it's the same problem I have with Darkness Falls, where you have this situation where it's a it's a really good idea. You know, like, like mm -hmm. if this if this were a movie, let's say this this weren't a 45-minute episode, or okay, it could be a 45-minute story. It could be an episode of The Twilight Zone or an episode of yeah. uh, some, some other sci-fi anthology series or whatever. So... But my point is that just let's let's for argument's sake, let's say it's a movie. I like saying movie because I do think that when the Monster of the Week episodes are at their best, okay, mm -hmm. it's because they function like, you know, little horror movies, little self-contained yeah. thrillers that can stand on their own, um, you know, and just function that way. And yes, mm -hmm. uh, in basic terms, this this. Uh, is like that. It's a. It's something that you can sit down and watch. You don't need to have any any prior connection to the show. Um, it's a. It's a story you can follow, and it's effective, and it has its own beginning, middle, and end, and that's it. But it doesn't work for an episodic television show. Now, it would. It would make a great movie. Think of a movie with this plot. You know, a a, a ship is discovered in the middle of the ocean of the Norwegian Sea, and there's this problem going on, and so a team of scientists goes to investigate. They get stranded. And, you know, one of, you know, they start turning on each other. One of them goes crazy, wants to kill them, whatever, right? But it's a thriller. And yeah. it has a dark ending. You know, they die. They, they're not able to, to, you know, they ultimately are not able to survive. And that's perfectly fine. And, that's, and the, they set, you set up a, a situation that seems very irreversible. You know, it's like it doesn't seem... Like, it seems like, okay, you, you got contaminated with the water and you can drink the uncontaminated water and that will let you um, live longer. But I don't really understand the part of it reversing the effects 
that like that part doesn't yeah. really make a lot of sense to me. Like, oh, not yeah. only can it can it let you survive, it will reverse the effects like magically because these seems. I mean, it's like cause, okay, let's be fair. X Files is not. It's a science fiction show. It's a. Yeah. It's not entirely realistic. So they do kind of you know you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit, but the show works best when they ground the concepts in something that's believable in a concept mm -hmm. that you could that you can you know they've taken some detail that is scientifically accurate and then you know they exaggerate it or they add some other stuff to it or whatever but they they still ground it in a in something that's believable this is not believable not for the x-files like there's an episode of star trek of the original series it's in the second season it's an episode i really like it's called the deadly years Okay, now I don't know if you've seen this episode, but I'll describe it. You, maybe you have. It's the original series. And it's an episode in which, uh, you know, the, the crew goes to investigate on this planet and they find that there is some, there's something wrong with that planet. I don't remember if it was a virus or what it is, but the point is that it causes rapid aging. Okay. Oh, so, it is a trope. Yeah, 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 of course it's a trope. It's a trope that goes all the way back to the 60s, right? So like, yeah. but, and, and this is like, because this is an episode from like 1967 or 68 or something. Okay, um, yeah, and, I didn't yeah, see. Yeah, and so, but the point is, so the, they get to this uh, place, the, this like a science base or research base or whatever it is, and they find that all the people that were there have, you know, they're all old. Most of them are dead. There's only like two of them left who are like very, very old. But as far as they were concerned, they, they were just, you know, the guy's like, but I'm 34 years old. But, you know, he's just like a really old dude. Um, and then he, he ends up dying on the ship. And, of course, this illness begins to infect the crew. Like everybody who was down in the planet comes back and they're all, you know, they're infected. They start aging really rapidly. Kirk, Spock, mm -hmm. McCoy, Scotty, whatever, right? They all start aging. And so it's an interesting episode because, you know, you, you, you see how... Uh, the, the crew is aging and they do some interesting acting and it's a lot of fun. But of course, in the end, they come up with some miracle cure. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't even remember what it was. It has something to do with adrenaline, I think. I, I don't, but it was something ridiculous where, okay, so they inject Kirk and Spock and everybody with this thing and miraculously they're, they're back to normal. After they've aged, you know, they've aged years. Okay, they've aged to the point where like Kirk uh, is like, he he ages into like an 80 year old man or whatever well actually i think in this particular case this is 1960 68 so mm -hmm. you know it's like oh kirk you have the body of a 62 year old you know and i'm going like oh. wow yeah that's a ugh. you know i'm like uh, <laughs> you know like my 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 dad's 67 and he's in better shape than kirk is in this episode mm -hmm. but my point is that in star trek you buy it i mean you buy it barely but you buy it because there's, you know, it, it's futuristic. It's not, it, you just buy it. You know, like there, there's enough going on there where it just becomes this sort of almost like a fable. But see, in the X-Files, that doesn't work. I just don't buy it. I don't buy that you have, you know, Mulder and Scully aging within minutes and, and you know, then d they have to drink some water and it's helping them. But then I, I just, it it's, it's just too far-fetched. I can't follow... It's too far-fetched. It's too miraculous. Yeah. It doesn't work for the episode. It doesn't work for the story in this context. Yeah, it, it poses too many um, theories. And I, that's something I don't understand about series from the 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, each episode is really expensive to make. So one would think 
that it would be good to invest all that money on episodes that are really, really tight. Yeah. But there were so many, so many series that just had filler episodes that did nothing and it made no sense. And yeah. like, why would you waste money on that? So if this episode didn't exist, look, I, I love John Savage. He's awesome. But if it didn't exist, it, it wouldn't have done. Like, it wouldn't have affected the show in, in the least. No, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, yeah. it's absolutely a filler episode. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. There are things about the episode that are, that are fine. It's yeah. um, Rob Bowman directed it. It's well-directed. It's got yeah. good, good, tense atmosphere. Um, yes. It's, it's very well-acted. You know, the, it's a perfectly um, fine episode. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, they, they, do great, they do great work as actors, everyone involved. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm entirely, I'm not a huge fan of the Freddy Krueger age makeup. Um, it was awful. Yeah, I, I'm just not a fan of yeah. it. I, I don't like I. And from the very beginning, it just seems really silly to me where they get to. I mean, for example, like that 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 Star Trek episode I told you about a minute ago from 1968. Yeah. From 1968, okay, that Star Trek episode, which is some, you know, at this point it would have been about 30 years, uh, you know, uh, older than than the episode that we're talking about right now. Right, that Star Trek episode from the '60s has much better, much more convincing aging makeup than this show from the '90s. You know, uh, where it just looks so absurd. I mean, when, when they find uh, what was his name, Barkley. You know, when they find him on the ship, he's the first guy they find on the ship. He's he's incredibly old. Okay, his his face is like he looks like a raisin. Okay, fine, I got it. He's he's aged uh, tremendously. I, what I don't understand though is what's with the fingernails. I mean, I, I don't mm -hmm. I don't get that. Like what? Like why would he have like why would he have the Dracula fingernails? Yeah, uh, I don't no, I don't get that. It doesn't happen to Mulder and Scully. They don't have Dracula fingernails. They they you just know what, I like, mean, it's they like age. yeah. And, and some it, it's not like they it's not that they look wrinkled. They look melted. Like I, yes. It, it, they, they all look like, and not Muller and Scully, they, they had like a better makeup there, like a little bit better, marginal better. But the other guys uh, reminded me of the guy from Robocop that gets the acid on the face and his face melts. Uh -huh. Yes. That, that, that's what yes. I thought about. Yes, yeah. very much so. They, they, they yeah. look like, they look deformed. They, they don't look, yeah. that's why I refer to it as Freddy Krueger makeup. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't think Mulder even looks that good. Honestly, I mean, it's just it's too much, you know. It is um, too much. It's not as bad as the other guys, though. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Scully's okay. Scully's a bit subtle. Scully's yeah, a bit subtle, and and I'm going to assume that for the shots, like you see her writing in the notebook, you see her hands. I'm going to assume that for those shots, they use like a double. You know, they mm -hmm. they got an actually like an actual elderly person to to do that, so, so they could have those shots of elderly looking hands. Because they look like, you know, they, it looks convincing. That, in her case, it's fine. Um, it's like fine. It's not great because like she's way too pale and too ashy and just like it just it still looks weird. It still looks like like a Halloween mask. But uh, the others, the other things are just they they go to a level where you're looking at, yeah, you you put it perfectly. Melted. They look like melted faces. They look like. Like, yeah, it's like, it's like Freddy Krueger, you know, and, and I don't, and I just don't think that that really works. But apart from that, apart from the technical aspect of bad makeup, 
the episode is well done, it's well acted, it's fine, but you know, as we said, it's filler. And I think, you know, you ask why would they waste the money? Here's the thing though, and it's a fundamental problem, and I think it ultimately boils down to the fact that, and this is something that we only ended up learning over time, but a 24 episode order, it's too much. Uh-huh. It's you too know, much. it's it's too much. I I get that for them it's important. You know, they uh, for 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 syndication and for all these other deals mm-hmm. they make. There's a certain episode order that they have per year, but 24 episodes is just way too much, especially for something episodic, where you're trying to combine an episodic thing with a serialized thing, because I think it would be easier if this were not uh, an episodic television show, if this were like an anthology. So where every episode is like a new thing, like the Twilight Zone. I mean, in the case yeah. of the Twilight Zone, in the case of the Twilight Zone, you can have, you know, 30 episodes or whatever. Because they're these like short movies, these like little independent short films that tell creepy stories, and that's it. And I mean, even in that case, you sometimes have filler episodes. But uh, since they're not beholden to any sort of arc, or any any kind of mythology, it's just a lot easier. You're just they're just a bunch of short stories. Yeah, but in the case of the X Files, you have like you you have you have that you have these like little standalone stories, but you also have to service an arc. You have to like develop characters over a series of episodes. You have to do both. And it's a series long arc. Yes. Which complicates yes. things. What I was going to say is that. Um, I think with Agents of Shield and maybe, I, yeah, there were other shows that what they did was split the seasons in half, so they yes. have a mini arc on the first half and then another mini arc yes. on the second half, and that that just made it like more balanced. Yeah, well, that's what they started doing. Like that, that that became more common in in recent years because networks are still asking for twenty two episodes or twenty four episodes or whatever. They're still doing that. You know, they haven't entirely adopted the cable model. Um, whereas cable, you know, 10, 13 episodes, whatever, that's, that seems to be per season, that works. But uh, in networks, what they ended up doing said, okay, we're still going to ask for 22 episodes per season. However, it's like each season can be split in two. So it's like you're really doing like, you know, 11 episodes and 11 episodes. So you can, you mm-hmm. can break your story, you can break the thing uh, into like these little mini arcs, you know, so you basically, it's like having two seasons in one. Right. That's kind of what it feels yeah. like. And mm-hmm. so in that case, it works like they've embraced that. And since most shows now have become serialized, they kind of have to do that, you know. But back then, back during the 90s and 80s and whatever, that wasn't the case. And so they had this minimum of like 22 episodes a season. And it's just difficult. You know, you, you're going to have some filler in there. And that's just how it goes. And you really yeah. see it. Yeah. I mean, there are episodes that get away with it. I was—I mean, there there are shows that get away with it. The only one I can really think of that gets away with it mm-hmm. from the period, and when when I finally do revisit this show because I'm planning to do it because it's like my favorite show and I want to do it, um, I probably will eat my words. Like maybe I'll start to discover that <laughs> no, it, ter- it turns out that this just like any other show had a lot of filler crap too, um, and that mm-hmm. and that's Quantum Leap. Yeah. Okay. That was like purely episodic. Right. Well, yeah, well, it was in this in the sense that you had it was episodic because it wasn't it wasn't serialized. There were a couple of like mm-hmm. two part episodes, two part stories. But no, it was just completely an episodic show. But the thing about Quantum Leap that made it unique is that it was a 
quote-unquote sci-fi show because it's about a guy that travels through time. But the actual show was not really sci-fi. It was, um, you know, it was basically a drama. It was basically an hour-long drama. And it was an anthology because each episode sort of had its own little arc. And mm -hmm. they went in very different directions because they were basically you know, human dramas. They weren't really sci-fi action stories at all. Yeah. So, you know, one week you have Sam in like the 1960s and it's a story about civil rights. And, you know, next week you have Sam in the, in the body of a mentally challenged guy and it's a story about that. And you have Sam in the, in the body of a secretary who's been like sexually harassed by her boss, you know, like, like all those things, right? So every episode is just totally different or he's stuck on a cruise ship that's gonna, that's gonna sink or like whatever, you know what I mean? So like every yeah. episode is just a different thing. So it's basically an anthology show. It's basically an anthology mm -hmm. show like Twilight Zone, except it has the same main character in every episode. Yeah. That's, the only, that's the only difference. So in a show like that, that's where it could work. But when you have to service one sort of arc, one sort of mythology, um, in an episodic format and sort of have characters grow, you know, uh, at least more than one character, you know, have like multiple uh, main characters and supporting characters kind of grow over a period and try to tell sort of long arcs at times. Um, yeah, uh, you have filler. And so that's what happened here. And yeah, but um, your other question was like, why do they spend money on making these filler episodes? Look, I think... I mean, no one sets out to make a bad movie. No one sets out to make a, a bad TV show or a bad television yeah. episode. I think every time they sit down to do these things, they go at it with the best of intentions. Um, sometimes they're aware, you know, like sometimes they're they're on the set and they're like, yeah, this really isn't working. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to have to do whatever we can to salvage this shit. Other times, they probably genuinely think it's working. Like, I can see this on paper being extremely compelling. I, I can see this being like, you know, that wow, this is such an interesting story. Mulder and Scully is stuck on a ship and they start aging and that's gonna give us an opportunity for some tension and suspense and drama and, you know, it'll give them a chance to do some acting that'll be interesting for them and all that stuff, right? And plus it's a nice tight little story that we can tell with with few characters and, you know, it'll be a, an easy episode to shoot, etc. Right. So I think all of those things on paper, they're like, they're like, yeah, this is let's do this. They don't expect that it's not going to work. No, that's that's true. But I also think that you shouldn't uh, as a filmmaker, you mm -hmm. shouldn't just uh, create a new episode just because you have a, a, a boat available, you know, <laughs> which is what you yes. said. That, yes. Yeah. So it, it also goes back to why did they make that episode? Is because they had a boat available, not the right reason to make an episode. Exactly. It had it been like, yeah, had it been like, yeah, we want to give them this opportunity to have these moments in isolation and, and you know, like a great acting uh, opportunity and all that. Well, that, that wasn't the case with this one, and it yeah. showed. Yeah, you're, you're, you know what, you're 100% right. Um, that that uh, the, the conception of this episode was already flawed in the fact that they just did it because... They did it because yeah. they had something, you know, it, it was the Roger Corman uh, approach to filmmaking, which, you know, mm -hmm. that has that can have its value. But Roger Corman's approach to filmmaking was that, you know, it was like, we've got this great set. We shot a movie there, um, and, you know, and he'll tell like uh, Francis Coppola or, or Peter Bogdanovich or someone, you know, if you want, 
you know, I'll give you three days. We've still got that set for three days. You want to go in there and shoot a movie? Go right ahead. You've got three days to yeah. do it. Just go in there and do it. You know, and so like that's how they did it. And whatever, you know, it worked for them. But uh, but ultimately, yeah, it's not the right reason. There's no reason to tell this story if your only reason is, oh, we have a boat. Let's make a story that's set on a boat. It's not fair. It's not our time. We still have work to do. I'll do when they found me after the doctors and even my family had given up I experienced something that I never told you about even now it's hard to find the words but there's one thing I'm certain of as certain as I am of this life we have nothing to fear when it's over That is that. I hope you enjoyed our discussion, and if you did enjoy it, there are many ways you can support the podcast, which is available on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms. You can subscribe. You can rate and or review it, depending on what platform you're enjoying it on, and of course, you can share and spread the word on social media. Please do any or all of these things. Every little bit helps. Look for the Eric Antoine Network on Facebook or on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Eric's Antoine Net, and check out my film reviews on Letterboxd. I'm Eric's Antoine, and I'll be back in a week or so to discuss Humbug, the very first episode to be fully written by Darren Morgan. Fellow podcaster and film critic Zaki Hassan will be my guest for that. Anyway, please do stay tuned, and remember that the truth is out there. See you next time. Oh.